So I'm very happy to be with all of you tonight. Um, gladdens my heart to just see everyone. And in fact, it, uh, when I see all of you and so many uh, familiar faces, some who've drifted in from the past and others who are kind of more regular, when I, when I actually just hold all of you in my, in my mind's eye or in my heart, uh, there is a sense of, of harmony. There's a sense of gladness, a sense of, uh, a sense of unity that I feel um, just by the fact of being here, just by the fact of seeing all of you. And, and I think that's one of the one of the benefits of, of Sangha community, and especially community that has, uh, that has met and uh, met, come together and gone apart, and come together and, and gone apart. That gentle breathing in and breathing out, coming together and going apart. It, over time, the people you see regularly, they, they give a sense of, of home, they give a, they give a sense of harmony and and the small ways in our lives that uh, that we can uh, feel that sense of home and harmony. It, it's really to me how we one of the ways that we measure our own uh, state of the union, our own state of union. And so I have that sense of of being uh, unified tonight. Uh, my mind settled into my heart, um, and and when my mind is settled into my heart, I feel much more connected, uh, not just to, to myself, but I feel more connected to the life around me. I was listening. It's funny, things like that have been happening today, the mind sinking into the heart, or heart and mind coming together. I was just driving down the road, and I was, was feeling kind of tired and a little grumpy. And I, and whatever the the radio waves have turned into a kind of, uh, uh, I shouldn't say this. No, I won't give the political persuasion. But they've turned into a kind of uh, one voice. It seems as though all the radio stations are carrying the same talk show hosts saying the same things over and over, and they're... And it, there's not much heart in it, so I flipped from the radio to the uh, to the CDs that I had in my car. I have a little changer, so I just pushed the button, and it happened to light on the just one of these beautiful songs by the Gypsy Kings. And just hearing the the tonal quality, my immediately my heart softened, my eyes produced a little tear, and there was a sense of I was instead of being frozen in this state of ill will and reaction and, and, and tense in my shoulders, my belly relaxed, my shoulders relaxed, my heart settled, and I felt home again. Very much like I was describing, I feel home when I see you. And little things like that, that help us bring our, our heart and mind together in harmony. Last week, I spoke a lot about the practice of metta, of loving-kindness, of compassion, 
of uh, mudita, sympathetic joy, equanimity, the, the immeasurable qualities of the heart, that when, when one inclines their mind to the awakening and the reminder of these qualities, these unconditional qualities within us, uh, they, they're there for us and they, they help us when we think about them and we, we generate the thoughts of, of love it helps us sink back into what is most natural to us, that, that sense of, uh, a sense of inner harmony, inner unification. So last week when I spoke about the, the immeasurable qualities, the Brahma-viharas, I did it in the context of the Buddha as a healer, as a doctor, who recommended the the medicine of the, uh, the Noble Eightfold Path, the Noble Eightfold Path being the uh, fourth noble truth of the Buddha and uh, the, the way that one, a way that one can practice and one can uh, create out of one's life just the way it is, how one can create a, uh, an onward-leading heart-opening, mind-opening, purifying, harmonizing uh, uh, path. And one of the ways that I was thinking tonight as I was sitting here with my unformed uh, evening discourse was that one of the ways that I, I was thinking about the State of the Union, because I listened to it a little bit on the radio before I came in, and my reflection was that one of the ways that we can, uh, the state of the union, let me back up a little bit, the state of the union is really, on one hand, an inventory, an inventory about the condition of our country. You know, that's how it's spoken by the president. And then, of course, it is a, it is a uh, suggestion of what path may be followed uh, to make things better, not just for oneself, but for, all, for, for everyone. And the way that we do our own inventory is by, one of the ways we can do our inventory is by reflecting on this Noble Eightfold Path, reflecting on the three parts of the Eightfold Path. I also spoke last week about the first part of the Eightfold Path that's called sila, or um, ethics and morality, the the part of the, that includes wise speech, includes wise action, and includes wise livelihood. And these three elements of, of sila, or ethics and morality, uh, asks us to look at in our life, are we, are, is our livelihood in harmony with our values? Are we in, are we unified in our in our livelihood, in what we do every single day, we spend an enormous amount of time with our livelihoods. Is it congruent? Are we, are we, not only is it congruent in terms of what we do, but how we do it. Do we do it with integrity? Do we do it with um, skillfulness? How are we, how are we engaging in our livelihood? Because that is really central. The, of course, the, the, Traditional teaching on wise livelihood is is that you uh, engage in livelihood that doesn't cause harm, 
and that is um, used to be dealing with intoxicants and weapons, but but it's for each of us to to reflect on whatever we're engaged in. Uh, is it is it bringing harm? Is it bringing harm to ourselves? Is it bringing harm to others? And to reflect on that, and that's how we can consider our the state of our own unity, our own union, and our actions. Our actions include the we can one way to speak about them is to reflect on the the basic training guidelines that for, of wise action, which is uh, are we are we harmonious with our speech or are we causing harm with our speech? Are we harmonious with our sexual uh, lives or are we causing harm with our sexual lives? Are we, are we taking care with the use of intoxicants that cloud the mind and lead to carelessness and heedlessness, a lot of suffering? Or are we, are we uh, using intoxicants wisely or not at all? Are we, uh, in our speech, are we telling the truth? Are we speaking harmoniously to whoever we speak to? Are we, uh, how are we relating to the earth, to the resources of the earth? Are we, are we in harmony with life? I actually brought along the, the inventory that... Uh, that the One Earth Sangha puts out. And I'm re- I started to reflect on it. Am I, am I taking care with, with household energy, with water, with, with, the, with electricity? Am I taking care with the waste? Because it's, you know, I can't be frivolous. You know, I can't be just unconscious about that. So am I reducing my household energy, considering climate change, etc. And how am I, in terms of my relationship to uh, eating, um, eating flesh foods, meat, because of a lot of the pollution that's caused is by the production of, of, um, of chickens and, and cattle, an enormous amount of, uh, of toxicity caused and harm caused to the animals that don't want to be killed. And we all have to reflect on that. That's not necessarily saying you shouldn't do this. It's to, to see where are we at with this. Are we in harmony with our actions of our body, of our speech, of our mind? Um, I think that's enough of that one. I could go through the whole list, but it lose the spirit of the, of the talk. I'm not sure that I remembered all the the training guidelines, but for each of us to have a list of the to of the training guidelines, and perhaps even to to reflect on them every day, and maybe to tonight together we can, in our own encouragement to have the state of our own inner union uh, in a, in good shape, to commit to the training guidelines, the training precepts. And I'll, I'd like to read the Thich Nhat Hanh version. There's lots of Thich Nhat Hanh versions, but this is a simple one. Uh, aware of the suffering caused by violence, I undertake the training to refrain from killing or committing violence toward living beings. I will attempt to treat all beings with compassion and loving kindness. 
Aware of the suffering caused by theft, I will undertake the training to refrain from stealing, from taking that which is not given. I will attempt to practice generosity and will be mindful of how I use the world's resources. Aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I undertake the training to refrain from using sex in ways that are harmful to myself or to others. I will attempt to express my sexuality in ways that bring joy and feelings of connection. Aware of the suffering caused by harmful speech, I undertake the training to refrain from lying, from harsh speech, from slander, and from idle speech. I will attempt to speak and write in ways that are both truthful and appropriate. Aware of the suffering caused by alcohol and drugs, I undertake the training to refrain from misusing intoxicants that dull and confuse the mind. I'll attempt to cultivate a clear mind and an open heart. So we talked a little bit about last, last week about this foundation, this medicine that, that brings joy, that can bring joy and harmony to our lives, bring that sense of congruency and unity to have our, to have our actions be, be harmonious. I also spoke of the central part, the middle part of the Eightfold Path that includes wise mindfulness and, or right mindfulness, right concentration, and, and right effort. And I talked about the four efforts of cultivating what is wholesome in your life, maintaining what is wholesome, abandoning what's unwholesome, and preventing what's unwholesome from arising. So becoming so uh, strong and, and unified in your purity of, of action and purity of mind that, that your inclination to cause harm, your inclination to, to, um, to, to act, to do things that are not so helpful, just diminishes and ultimately ends. You just stop causing harm. You stop having to, to, um, to be affected by, the, by what you've said or did or didn't do or didn't say. So we can reflect on this. Are, are we cultivating the wholesome in our lives? Uh, obviously, you're coming on Tuesday night, so you're, to some degree you're cultivating the wholesome. And when we think of wholesome, we also think of the wholesomeness of, of cultivating a mind and body that are in one place. So cultivating the wholesome means learning to how to be present. It means doing, having this attempt to orient yourself toward, toward being aware, being awake, being present having it be the hub around which you do everything in your life. Have it not just be something that's relegated to Tuesday night or to a retreat, but something that is, that is the guiding light. This is right mindfulness. Having mindfulness and clear comprehension of what you're doing when you're doing it. And then, of course, having that be uh, informally all the time. And formally, having regular periods of sitting, walking, doing formal practice that, that allows you to just be saturated by that habit and that love, that devotion 
to being aware and being present. And so are you cultivating mindfulness all day long? This is cultivating the wholesome. Are you cultivating the conditions that lead to a calm abiding, leading to concentration, leading to a sense of one-pointedness? Of course, if you're practicing mindfulness, you're also practicing the conditions that lead to to one-pointedness. But are you doing things, things that are valuable and helpful, are you doing things in a very concentrated way, where you stay with it, where you don't just, oh, I don't feel like doing it today, or I don't, uh, I, you know, it's, my body hurts, my mind hurts, where you, it's so easily just say, you know, I'll wait till Tuesday night. Are you doing something in your life that you're attempting to refine and that you're giving your heart to every day? Because many, many things can become the, uh, can become the cause of a mind that is well-collected and well-composed, well-concentrated. Things that where you, to some, in some way, you enter into the flow of what you're doing where you begin to feel, regardless of what you're doing, of course you want it to be, want it to be something that's wholesome and not, not causing harm, but anything wholesome can, can be the cause of, of concentration. And concentration or the feeling of, of that flow, that, that one-pointedness, brings with it, it's that Action or that activity that gives you a sense that you are that that time is you lose a sense of time that your life is so immersed in the immediacy of what you're doing that your desire to be somewhere else diminishes. So that's not only meditation practice; it can be anything that you do in a concentrated way. But obviously, it's it is helpful. If you do that activity, not simply in a concentrated way, but with, with a lot of, of comprehension, with a lot of mindfulness. So mindfulness and concentration. The way to bring unity, to, to experience our own sense of union... And the way to reflect on, what, do our own inventory on our sense of union, is uh, to sense whether or not your mind is settled in your body. Your mind is in the same place as your body. Is your mind, most of the time, uh, a million miles away? Is your, are your winds, we, they, Tibetan tradition, they talk a lot about the winds that move through the through our system, the vital the vital energies, the prana, the the nadis, the the different kinds of energy that flows through us, the kind of electrical circuitry. Many of us live with the winds very high, somewhat disembodied, and when the winds are high, we tend to have a lot of discursive thinking, spend a lot of time. Um, just noodling, ruminating, uh, planning, remembering, and often feel a little bit disconnected. So one of the ways that we can both check 
our own state of our own union, is our mind settled into our body? Are we here? Are we at home in this, in this what the Buddha called this fathom-long body? Because if this is the only place that we can find home. The whole world depends on you being embodied. And the world peace depends on you being embodied. As one of my favorite teachers, Sri Nisargadatta, put it, the world is the way it is because people are the way they are. And as long as people are the way they are, the world will continue to be the way it is. That if we want a peaceful world, we have to be peaceful people. Peace isn't something that we can impose on the world. It has to start within each of us. So is our mind and body in the same place? If it is, we will experience increasingly, regardless of what our situation is, regardless of, of, the, um, of the variety of feelings and challenges and complications of our life, we can feel a sense of rootedness, a sense of home, a sense of peace. And if we're not, then in some, in some measure we are a little bit disembodied. And so, to, uh, as, as well as, being, uh, as having mindfulness be the hub around which you live your life, being embodied is a very important way to have, to, um, to have our body be the hub around which we live. It's a very important way to, to bring harmony. Another way of since I was talking about ruminating and thinking about the past and the future. One of the inventories, one of the ways that we can take our own inventory of our the state of union is, are we, are we uh, engaged in, in reality? Reality surrounding us every instant. Are we, are we actually here? Are we dwelling on... Are we dwelling in resentments or worries? Where is your, where, what is the state of your mind? Where does it frequently dwell? Because the Buddha said, what one frequently dwells upon becomes the inclination of your mind. So what are you inclining your mind toward all day long? Is it toward, as I've noticed a lot in my own life, is it toward what's next? Or is it toward... Uh, an openness, a curiosity, a, a love of being right where you are. Is it about yesterday? Is it about, uh, is it about regrets? Is it about worries? I have to, this seems like the appropriate time to bring in, I think, the most frequently recited poem that I've shared on Tuesday night. It's from Hafez. He says, what do people who are sad have in common? It seems they have all built a shrine to the past and often go there and do a strange wail and worship. What is the beginning of happiness? It's to stop being so religious like that. And then I wrote the second verse myself. Stole, of course, the first verse, but... The second verse is, what do people who are worried and anxious have in common? 
it seems they have all built a shrine to the future and often go there and do a strange wail and worry. What is the beginning of happiness? It's to stop being so religious like that. So being honest with ourselves about the inclination of our mind. Is it to the imagined past, the imagined future? And it's okay if our mind is, is uh, because it habitu- uh, our, mind, our mind acts as it has been practiced. So it's not surprising that, that if your mind thinks a lot about the future or the past, that uh, that's, it's, it's the result of what, what seeds you planted in past, present moments. So the key isn't necessarily to, as the poem suggests, to stop being, it's to stop being so religious about those thoughts. And how do we stop being so religious about those thoughts? It's to notice them. It's to notice the thought, that a thought of the future is not the future. A thought of the future is a thought form, it's a bubble arising, ephemeral in the present moment. It has no substantiality at all. It's empty. It's a, it has no, it's, there's no there there. It's just a thought. And a thought of the past is not the past. Past doesn't exist. It's gone. There is only the reality of that thought, that bubble arising in this unfolding present. And what we call now. And it doesn't. So the past and future, they don't. So the key is to notice them. Is, and that's how we can stop being so religious like that. So the state of the, state of the union depends on our, on our being embodied, having our mind settled in our body, creating the conditions in our life for, for calmness, for focus, for one-pointedness, because it is one-pointedness. It's having, having everything right here at this vital point, the only place that we can find reality, that we can find life. It is this vital point that, that connects us with everything and everyone around us. It's why when I see you, you, you come into my, into my field of vision and I'm, I'm moved by your, your presence here. It brings me here. And when I'm here, and if, and if I've gotten used to being here a little bit, I, I realize I want to be here. And when I'm here at that one-pointedness, I start to feel that sense of being at home. I don't, I don't want to be somewhere else. And that one-pointedness is that, I'm, it's that point that connects with everything. Any other point is disconnected from everything. It's, it's lost. It's dreaming. So mind and body together, one-pointedness, aware, comprehending where we are, what we're doing, how we're doing it, that mindfulness, the hub around which we do everything, the, the cultivating the wholesome, the, the qualities of love and compassion, 
joy and equanimity, doing the things that we love as well. And then finally, if we look at as another source of our inventory, we can reflect on whether or not we're living with, with wise um, or right intentions or thoughts and right uh, or wise understanding. Right intentions are those intentions that are the counter, counterbalance to the tendencies that the Buddha called the three poisons, the tendencies toward greed, toward that dependency on what's next for our sense of well-being, greed in the mind, that craving for, for something other than what's right here, what's right now, greed and hatred, that sense of contentiousness and grumpiness that I talked about, and ill will, aversion, fear, all the forms of, of reactivity and contentiousness as a counterbalance to greed and hatred and, and ignorance, that delusion, that sense that we somehow exist in a vacuum alone apart from everything, that, that, that misperception that we're, we're um, so separate. As a counterbalance to that, to greed, hatred, and ignorance, we orient our thoughts and our intentions toward generosity, toward contentment, toward renunciation. And that gets to, that, that's about renouncing the things that cause harm, and renouncing the, the habits that, as uh, Hafez says, the habits that can ruin your life. and inclining toward those, uh, those things that, um, let's see, renunciation, generosity, and loving kindness. Thoughts inclining our mind, our intentions and our thoughts toward kindness. This is a kind of counterbalance to the tendency to move in the other direction. Why do we do this? Because the, the wise understanding tells us, and we can think about, are we living with wise understanding? Wise understanding tells us, reminds us, that life has a lot of difficulties. Life has within it so many challenges, so many things that are a little bit difficult to bear and very difficult to bear. If you're born, you have things that are hard to bear. This is a given. If you're living in harmony with this understanding, you can find relief in the middle of it. If you're not living in harmony with this fact that we have that there is pain in being born, there's pain in getting sick, there's pain in getting old, there's pain in dying, there's pain in not getting what you want, and there's pain in not wanting what you get, there's pain in loss, there's pain in separation, there is pain all over the place. There's things that are hard to bear, no matter who you are. There's always something, no matter if you're born, because things are changing so quickly, there's always something a little bit off balance. If we understand this and live in harmony with this fact, we, can, uh, we, we don't have to run. We don't have to have our life an endless running from these facts. Because if we are, but if we are not in harmony with this fact, with this wise understanding that life has challenges, 
then we fall into what the Buddha called the second noble truth. We fall into the chronic tendency to want and demand things to be different than the way they are. That presents itself in our mind as this constant search for something else, for some way to distract myself, for something to buy, for someone to, to see, for, for some way to shut it all off, some, some way that I don't have to actually be with things the way they are. So wise understanding says we can find relief in our life if we open to our life just as it is. doesn't mean that we don't try to, to create a wholesome life everywhere we can, but first and foremost, we have to open to it, welcome it the way it is so that we can make wise uh, responses to it. And if we're not, if we're constantly in reaction to our lives, then we spin a web of confusion and we end up in a cycle of endlessly searching for a future that never arrives and then end up overshooting the present moment, which is all we have. So are we living in harmony with things the way they are? Are we living with the understanding, yes, there's, there is what's called dukkha, there's that which is difficult to bear in life. And, or are we falling into the second noble truth? Are we, are we in a chronic state of, of trying to get away from how things are, get away from the present moment? Or are we realizing the cessation of that craving, that, that, that need to distract ourselves? Or are we just sitting in the middle of it all? Are we dropping into our heart? Are we settling into our body? Are we coming to that, that single point? And finally, are we walking that path? That path that, that, that has as its core living harmoniously with ourselves, with other people, with the earth? Are we taking care of our mind and our body? Are we in love with things as they are? Rather than obsessed with how they could be, should be, would be, were. So that's, uh, we have to, maybe we can talk about this next time. Maybe people can report on the state of your own union. It's a wonderful practice to confess to ourselves and each other our delusions. It's a beautiful thing. And it's actually beautiful if, even if you confess to yourself. It was so enlightening today to see how far, far away my mind was until that, that little music, that, that one note just brought me, brought me back to to the seat of my consciousness, to into the heart. But how far I wandered in my imagination. How I was ready to... No, I wasn't really ready to blow up the, the Congress. But, but I think about that sometimes. <laughs> so I think I'll just leave you with some words from the Buddha. 
Do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is. The future has not yet come. Look deeply at life as it is in the very here and now. The practice looking deeply at life as it is in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. We must be diligent today. To wait until tomorrow is too late. Death comes unexpectedly. How can we bargain with it? The sage calls a person who knows how to dwell in mindfulness night and day, one who knows the better way to live alone. So let's sit quietly, alone together. One last poem from Galway Canal. Whatever what is, is, is what I want. Only that, but that. May all beings open to life as it is. May all beings know unity of mind and body, mind and heart. May all beings live in peace, live in harmony, live in peace and harmony. And may our practice tonight and every day and the fruits and the benefits of our practice be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings live in truth. Thank you for being here, and thanks for your generosity and support of the Sangha, and me, and all matters. And hope to see you all, uh, maybe not all of you, but many of you on Sunday the 2nd. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.